You're listening to The Comedy Cellar, live from the table, on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to The Comedy Cellar Show here uh, um, on Sirius XM Channel 99. My name is Noam Dwarman. I'm the owner of The Comedy Cellar. I'm here with Miss Kristen Gonzalez. And the uh, very, very funny Mr. Dan Natterman. We have special guest uh, tonight, a one of the greatest musicians working in New York and the world, Mr. Colin Smith, one of my, my musical partners. And we have a, a special guest, but I, I can't introduce him yet because uh, the... The, the paperwork didn't arrive in time for the introduction. So go ahead. How, how, how was it, Dan? <laughs> how was what? How was your week? You, you want to fill us up, take, bring us up to speed on your week? Well, uh, I, 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 uh, I have a free-floating anxiety that often uh, arrives this time of year. Um, you know, I only gave Calabria 15 minutes warning that I needed this. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. That sorry. you needed what? Go ahead. Yeah, I just got it. Go ahead. Information. Go ahead. But in addition to which, you know, just when I think that Trump, if everything is going to be okay... He does something that puts me ill at ease again with this this tweet about how he actually did win the popular vote, mm-hmm. except that there were m- well, millions pro- pro- of he didn't illegal. Then. Well, there doesn't seem to be any evidence <laughs> to suggest that uh, that there was any uh, illegal voting, or certainly not millions. No. So in other words, just when I think everything's going to be okay, he proves that he really is a mental case. Yeah. You had to have thought that was a bad one, Noam, right? Yeah, I thought it was terrible. I, I think all, I thought, you guys you guys will give me enough credit. This is what I've told you guys all along was his problem. I never said it was. I said he's not Hitler. He's not this. He's not that. He's not going to round anybody up. He's just cool. He's girl. a mental case. Yeah. I, how many times did I say the day after he wins the convention? What does he do? He goes after Ted Cruz's father about killing Kennedy. But then, but Remember he said that's exactly the same thing he's but doing when now. When I was expressed to you my level of anxiety after the election, you seemed perplexed. And, and yet you'll agree that because the election of a mental case to our highest office <laughs> is anxiety-provoking. Noam, Noam gets annoyed by the direction of the hyperbole and the tone of it yeah. more than, uh, I don't know. Well, it wasn't hyperbole. The content. I, I, I think uh, that he's, Because I really was anxious. He's, I, I mean, I don't, know what, how to, I don't know how to explain his personality. It, I mean, it seems to me that he's been too many years as Donald Trump, usually a businessman who gets to that point in life, has learned when to keep his mouth shut, learned how to follow, you know, like Godfather, business, not personal, sure. when, to, when to keep your mouth shut and how, to, and how to keep your eye on your own self-interest. He seems to have lost that to some extent. But someone on... Maybe he never had it, I don't know. Someone on CNN said, and pro- obviously a Trump supporter, said that he's just a, a master media manipulator and, you know, got on Twitter after the, the Trump um, University uh, scan, you know, case was settled and to kind of deflect from that he gets on and he it says like, some like outrageous things so that the media goes to that instead of focusing yeah. on what, the what, fact what, that what was that tweet after the trump university wasn't as bad as this one this one looks i mean i mean you know I I as, as which one because there is also today's tweet which is <laughs> that's not even that bad either i mean it, the, it, the flag burning one is not that bad well, let's take it one at a time the <laughs> okay. the, the um the voter fraud one is the worst one in my estimation because it's indefensible. It's a lie. It's based on nothing. It's it's uh, disinformation. So so, and but if you look at it as a as a nine year old, somebody criticized his count. So he's so, he, so he's yeah. going, like that's really all it is. Oh yeah. Well, if you think that this recount is it, well, how about? I'll recount your recount. I got all night, you know. Let me, let me. Do you think that maybe this has been uh, a tactic that worked like extraordinarily well for him as a nine-year-old and just never abandoned it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally could be right. 
Now, <laughs> Until he's 29, 39. Now, the, the, um, the flag-burning one, which I'm not sure what was the impetus, impetus for, that, for that, how that came in, what, why, what he was responding to. Yeah, I don't know. Must be something. Does I, he think people are, I think protesters are burning the flag, maybe. maybe. Uh, but, but the, but the, but the uh, idea that it should be <laughs> illegal to burn the flag is very, very common. It was a five-to-four decision in the Supreme Court. Uh, I think my father felt that way. Uh, Hillary Clinton had co-sponsored a bill that kind of made it illegal to burn the flag. Now, he said you, we should take a citizen. Right. That's the big one for me. And, and that is just what somebody says who has no knowledge of how the law works. Right. There is no criminal law, the criminal penalty, maybe treason, I don't know, but I don't think so. Where you can. It, it sounds take, like a guy that, that like, you know, just read a fairy tale about a king doing such a, yeah. you know, such an action. It's well, maybe, I mean, outlandish. It, it, no, I, I, listen, I don't want to defend him, but the way I... It, uh-uh. there, there, listen, there's another thing about that tweet as opposed to the... the um, uh, what was the other tweet? As, as the a, voting. As opposed to the voting tweet. Is that this and the tweet? other one was the Hamilton thing, by the way. Oh, the, Ham- the Hamilton yeah. thing. Right? Because this, what, this, this flag burning thing was not his like ego being bruised or anything like that. He's seeing people burn the flag, I guess, and uh, he, he doesn't like it. And it's like, well, what do you do when somebody burns the flag? Well, I guess you take away their citizenship. It's like seems like punishment fits the crime. Well, you don't want to be if you want to burn the flag. Well, maybe you don't want to be an American. I mean, it, it's very base and 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 dumb in a way. But like I said, it's there. There's some common sense there, and if you just think he's just has no idea how well, the law works or the Constitution a, works, I don't know. I can't. I'm said, not forgiving it. You know, you'd hope a president has a little information. You'd think he'd fucking check with somebody. Hey, you know, I want to. I want to tweet something about what we should do when somebody burns a flag. What do you think of this? Like, you think he just run it by somebody? Is this gonna make me look stupid? But he's, he hasn't done that to date. He hasn't run know, it by anybody. So why would he I start know, now? I know. I'm, I'm, well, and he got elected. They're both, they're both ridiculous tweets, but the voting one is just. Well, as you said, the flag people. There are a lot of people that are against flag burning. It's not an uncommon belief. It, you know, uh, it seems to me that that's precisely what the First Amendment was meant to protect. But uh, a lot of people seem to be flag burning. That is. Speaking of First Amendment and free speech, how did your Thanksgiving go? A what lot of free speech uh, there. It was the worst Thanksgiving I've <laughs> oh ever had. Go on. <laughs> it was. I was the only male person there. Really? How the hell did that happen? Uh, Except for little Manny. And the jury's out on him. Um, <laughs> so just the two bathrooms. <laughs> and every uh, there was. I, I can't. I can't say it on the radio. It was just horrible, and I couldn't talk about anything. Anything. There was no subject matter I Wait, could talk how, about. But how you don't even know like what women are allowed in your house at this point. Like Wait, how but like it hardly it, it, it could hardly have been more controversial than let's say last year's Thanksgiving with l- last year's uh, guest list. With Peter Guns doing the rap, you mean? That wasn't controversial. That was fun. Everybody loved that. Okay. <laughs> no. Listen, my mother hates uh, hates uh Oh, your mother was there. My mother yes. ha- hates everything, she's my favorite. everything American and everything Jewish. Uh, but at least she's, and she's both. But she's very well informed. But she's a crazy person. And then, and then, uh, Juanita's brother, sister-in-law, sister-in-law's family is one of those people who s- says, "If anybody, blah, blah blah, I'm defending you for this. I'm defending you for that." Like on Facebook, and oh, right. and and and. The, both my wife's family and my wife's sister-in-law's family get into these nasty family-wide Facebook fights in front of everybody, it's yeah. just, which is kind of, uh, can I, I can say ghetto, right? Because they're white people. It's, it's kind of ghetto. And, and the whole thing, it just gets ridiculous. So 
and I had to just keep my mouth shut the whole time. I couldn't talk about anything I want to talk about. Oh God! And you know, I just wanted. It didn't to sound just, like you really had an I just audience to, say, to talk about stuff. Trump. <laughs> Trump. No, I didn't say Trump. <laughs> That's all I needed was just to, just to lob the Trump word into the middle of that Thanksgiving table, and it was going to be off. The chefs weren't hung over this year, though, right? The, the chefs weren't hung over. Who were the chefs? I mean, just saying, who was cooking this year? Oh, Juanita. The, the food, <laughs> food was great, except there was rosemary and turkey. Okay. okay. What else? So what else? Uh, well, for also Before, we got to bring up this guy. Um, Colin Smith, as you mentioned, is a musician. Louis and Chris have approved the table in the new position, by the way. Thank Louis Louis and Chris Rock, I assume you mean. Yeah, yes. Uh, Not Lou Witzke and Christy Stefano. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Colin Smith, every Friday night we do music here at the Olive Tree Cafe. Which is, is, I don't know if we talked about it, it was was really worrying me that the comedians weren't happy with the the new position at the table. I think everybody's happy now. Go ahead. All right, well, for me it's six one, half a dozen of the other. I, I think you... Put too much the overthink the table, but that's my opinion. But in any case, every Friday night we do music here at the Comedy Cellar, uh, at the Olive Tree Cafe, which is upstairs from the Comedy Cellar. And so uh, on uh, Friday night, or actually it was Saturday night, because we did a special Saturday music edition we did this a special, week. Yes. I don't know if that's going to be every week, Noam, Friday and Saturday. They have been more frequent. It's whenever Colin <laughs> can't get a better gig. <laughs> <laughs> for our, for our uh, listeners who don't know, Noam is also not only the owner of the Comedy Center, but a, a musician, and that's his true love. Uh, more so than comedy, more so than pretty much anything. <laughs> much more than comedy, yeah. But more, th- more so than pretty much anything in life, he likes to sing and play his mandolin. Okay. But anyway, uh, so Colin was playing this song the other, the other day, and I said to myself, hey, this, is, this has got a good beat. This is pretty good. And I, I do what I often do when, when that happens. I go up to Colin and I say, who wrote that thing? And it turns out there was one a Colin, a Colin Smith original. Whoa! So I want, I want to say uh, hats off to Colin and his song, Wilderness. That's a great song. Thank you very much. That is, uh, I've sent you that song like three different times. You never <laughs> fucking listened to it. I don't recall you sending it to I me. I sent you Colin Smith's... It sounded different live. It touched oh, him. Touched. Guys, no, my, I, my ego's in the balance here. Can <laughs> I just... Um, yeah, it's a great tune. Wilderness, Colin <laughs> Smith. Uh, and, and he gave me the CD, which I already had anyway at home. Oh, okay. <laughs> so now I have two copies of the CD. Holding up the that you never table. listened to. And then you I never listened to it up because I didn't know there was this uh, great song on it. All right. So, uh, Wilderness. And Dan doesn't give compliments easily, so that's... No. Well, well I you. give them when they're merited. Yeah, I know. This is, this is the best... Is this, is this a Collins song or is this a Shackles song? It's a Collins, Collins song. song. So the Shackles gets no, no piece of this. Shackles get no piece of it, no. <laughs> Colin, what's going on with Wilderness? Well, that was my first, <clears throat> excuse me, that was my first solo record, uh, and that came out actually about six years ago. So, uh, it's uh, retired. <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's just. Well, has this song gotten any airplay on like series? Actually, or? yes, it got got airplay, and it was featured in some. It was featured in a couple of movies. It was featured in The Lincoln Lawyer and uh, like a British TV show and stuff like that. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty yeah. good, Colin. Yeah. yeah. Lincoln Lawyer is a good movie. It is a good movie. It doesn't feature strongly. It's on in the bar while they're having a chat, but still. Still. I still get checks. Not che- many people can I still say get checks every quarter, six years later. Were, were you guys? Like I decent you guys- checks. I'm like, I always go, whoa, for real? Still? Nice. Yeah, nice. I know you guys were trying to get on, on one of the late night talk shows. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that, Colin, that's Colin's uh, portfolio. I don't know what's going on with that. He's supposed to be pursuing that. Uh, <laughs> well, if you well, do, I would urge you to sing Wilderness. That's oh, not our wow. song, Dan. <laughs> I don't want to sing that stupid song. <laughs> Dan's not interested in the shackles, is what he's trying to tell you. What I'm trying to say is I think that's, that's your best. You, you, you hit him with wilderness, and then you sneak in a shackle song. Oh, I'm happy to do wilderness. I don't know. Whatever do works. Do you want to go on my pigtails now, Mom? <laughs> whatever works. Whatever I, works. Well, I think that's your best shot at a, at a top 40 hit. Beatles sang a song from the Music Man on the Ed Sullivan Show. Whatever right. works. 
Um, and then you also got me into this guy, Foy Vance. Oh, he's good, right? But I, I went home and I listened to that song, The Coco. Where yeah. That was the Coco. Coco. I got to say, I like Wilderness better. All right. Better than Coco. The, the opening chords of, of, um, of Coco is Into the Mystic. Have you? Yeah, it's Pretty a much. similar vibe. Uh, similar vibe. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just concerned that maybe this is not uh, uh, what, what people want to hear about. <laughs> Are you crazy, Noam? People don't want to get to the well, bottom you, of Colin Smith's well, cornal you know, machinations. You know how we can save this? Well, I will let. I'll ask Lou to well, cut in a little bit of, of the, the song. Well, the well the I don't song, like your implication. There we go. How we, we can save this is implying that this is shit. Well, no. Or, if you're, if you're, or, or, or where the Colin again, my ego's at stake. Or to, or to, so Colin can understand shite. Okay. And, <laughs> now, uh, now you're talking. Now, <laughs> listen. The thing uh, is, you know, I thought that with you droning on about uh, <laughs> flag about burning, flag burning, uh, maybe that. Would, but I didn't yeah. say anything. I just was leave it okay, to can I, Let me say this. Let me just say this. Now, you thought that me droning on about an issue that everybody in America is talking about was just going to be so dull to people. So let's talk about a song that no one's even ever heard of. Well, no, and because when I suggest not, when I suggest cutting that song into the that's thing, that's fine. People are going to out of here. I don't mind you cutting the song in. By that's the way, good, it's then, a fine then idea. Then they can understand what you're talking about. Fine, but okay. but we're not just talking about a random song. We're talking about a member of the comedy community. Okay. Poised for greatness <laughs> with a song that Noam didn't write. And is is the is the song available on iTunes, etc.? It is, Could yeah. Be- Picture in world peace and a time when mercy is on everyone's mind. Cause this is the wilderness Where birds steal from others' nest With no thought for its viciousness No comfort at all Yeah, this is the wilderness And I could have you killed, I guess And make me like all the rest A slave to it all We're talking about what goes on here We're at the Comedy Cellar. What goes on here every every week at the Comedy Cellar is music. Music. And I think that that's, music. I think that that is... We um, had Chappelle sit in with us and play music. That's he, true. Chappelle plays music? Chappelle, he, he rapped... Can I kick it? Yeah, yes, you he can. Did. He and did. He, he brought Stevie Wonder's uh, harmonica, harmonica player down. Player, who was Freddie. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And he sat in with us. Uh, we, we have a lot of people sitting. And then Dave had me on his stage there a couple of weeks ago while Dave broke out some Beethoven on the piano. He played he, Moonlight Sonata like really well. He's you know he's, he's plays uh, that Thelonious Monk song. Was it after me? Famous yeah. Monk song. Anyway, too. he's very good. Yeah. He, they, oh, I, got to, I, went to, I went to SNL where Chappelle was hosting. Oh, mm-hmm. That was pretty awesome. Did you like the experience of going? I don't like going to SNL. Live. No, I, I find like, it to no. be extremely long. Oh, you went, to the, you yeah. went to the live show or the dress rehearsal? Live. The live show. Oh, the, I went to the live. Well, why are you looking at me like that? Because yeah, you always got to like try to think like maybe maybe this no, is something not said, quite as good as what I said. <laughs> no, like. because you, you said because you said you didn't like the experience. And I, had you gone to the live show, it seems to me shocking that you wouldn't like that experience because no, I find the live show to be absolutely fascinating. It, it is, you, but it's the waiting in line. To yeah, this, and the shuttle takes to this forever. Yeah, yeah. And With shuttle, I don't remember shuttle. Shuttling from one room to another. Room yeah, to another room. Just, yeah, shuffling from one line oh, to another. I, like I they move you along within the corridors. I assumed you were maybe getting VIP treatment. No, but <laughs> you gotta be a part. Of, that's what they do to everybody. I find the SNL I, show I, so fascinating. Not 
not the show. It's not necessarily, but the t- the way they do it live, the technical aspect of it, I think, is fascinating. It They're is running fascinating. around and and everything gets done live. And, and in a way, the dress is nearly more fascinating because it is a longer show that involves more sketches that they haven't cut yet and stuff. And so that's there's a Seymour. Yeah, but the excitement because you know it's not going out live. <laughs> right. well, what did you think about Kate McKinnon's uh, Hallelujah? Ah, uh, stupid. I mean, I, I enjoy. <laughs> I enjoy the song. It's a nice song. Who does it better? Do you think? I haven't heard of Colin Smith's oh, Hallelujah. Okay. I actually, I, I didn't get the whole political thing, which is probably why I didn't react negatively to it because I, she was kind of dressed like Hillary, but she yeah. sang the song. The lyrics had nothing to do with Hillary, and she was singing it pretty faithfully. It was odd, yeah, earnestly. And I loved. The way she, like, you know, when we do it sometimes, like, let's not do it too slow, let's do it very sure. straight. She did it exactly kind of the way I, right. I, I like, just like very, very straightforward, yeah. not like trying to yeah. overdo it. Yeah, yeah not stylized. And, right, I, right, and right. actually, was, I, I was transported, if you will, uh, at her version of the song, and I liked it. That's and, then, nice. and then Chappelle's monologue was one of the classic SNL monologues, yeah, I think. Yeah, it was fantastic. And, and we had heard him down here. The night before. Four or five days. Uh, Did you hear my um, newest uh, Trump stuff? I, circling I, into it. I hate to bring it all back to me. <laughs> Do no, you, you don't? don't. Well, I don't know. It's, a, it's an open question. But I had some great new Trump jokes that I de- I didn't debut, but... What's the best one? Well, did you hear them at the, the other night at the Underground? No. With the one about, you know, not my president? No, go ahead. Well, I don't like to do my act in this context. Well, you have to now. Well, I say it's not my president, but he is. Do they also every month say not my visa bill? <laughs> That's very and then, good, not, and then I well, there's more to it. Then I say, not my blood test result. Hashtag, hashtag never herpes. <laughs> so anyway, right, should we bring? Should we bring? A, well, oh, is he here? Yeah, he's been here. Steven I didn't know he has been here. Let's bring him over. Can we have him listen to the? This is an uh, Atlantic Records guy. Or something? Yeah, we could have him listen to the. Wilderness. Can he listen to the wilderness? Well, well not now. That would have been a great idea, but okay. I don't think we have. We, well, Colin, we'll have to sing at Acapulco. No, no, that don't, he wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. I'll just look into his eyes. Put him right here. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. where he's going. Go right up close. Yeah. Give him a cold. And Colin, you know. Colin is uh, has the um, self confidence to, to actually do that. Like Colin will look him right in the eyes. There's no doubt it's a good tune. I don't think any record producer would would poo poo it. It's one of my it, best. It may lyrics. not be right for uh, a particular record label or a particular market. It's I don't know how you'd classify it. It's it's, it's certainly not. Um, you know, uh, the modern masterpiece. That's how you classify it. Daydreaming. <laughs> Sing it now. Uh, who, who are we waiting on? Oh, here we are. Here we are. So, come sit down, <laughs> sir. Hi. Sit right here. I'm going to read your introduction that Stephen uh, has provided me with. So, if it's if it's inaccurate or you're not, if you don't find it flattering in some way, um, that would be Stephen. <laughs> Blame it on Stephen. And. And I'm and Stephen. I'm not sure how to pronounce this. G O L D V E. Oh, did you did you type it wrong? Yes. Oh, mother, mother. Uh, you're fired. That's it. Say, so you get what you pay for. All right. Hit it now. Danny Goldberg is the president of. What's the name of your company? Gold Village. Gold Entertainment. Village Entertainment. Yes. His clients have included Nirvana. Bonnie Raitt, Hole, The Beastie Boys, among many others. He's the author of Bumping Into Geniuses, My Life Inside the Rock and Roll Business. Welcome, Mr. Goldberg. How are you? Very well, thank you. Do you want to wear the headphones? Clear. Those people were clients a long time ago. Those are not my current clients. Well, uh, certainly Nirvana was not. Particularly Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of my joke where I say to a girl, uh, I had 
because it's a comedy club, so we're comedians. So I have a joke where I say to a girl, um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, no, that's not the joke part. I, oh, I, this is a joke sorry, I did on Conan where I lie about, I told a girl I was 34, and then a Nirvana song comes on, and I say, uh, oh, I went to these, I saw these guys live back in college. I mean, kindergarten. <laughs> anyway, that, that's... Uh, <clears throat> Well, all right. So, so let me just, let's get right right to it because you know, to I you probably know this, but to like musicians, I think of that list. I don't know, Colin, Nirvana, Bonnie Raitt, Hole, the Beastie Boys, among others. Nirvana to me is like in a in a class by itself, itself. himself, me, really. Me, me too. Um, can, talk in your mic and get a little louder. Talk. I, I think I'm going to take off the headphones, no, though, if no, it's okay with you, because yeah, it was a little no, whatever, whatever was good. overwhelming. Just as long as, you, you could, as you're talking to the mic. Okay, so hello, hello. Tell us, how did you first come across Nirvana? What, what's the story? Well, I had a management company at that time called Gold Mountain. I always put gold in these companies, because my name is Goldberg. And, um, and one of our clients was Sonic Youth. Uh, I was... Uh, in my 40s, so I was a little old to understand that culture, but everybody told me now? I was not cool. I'm 66 now. Oh, you look great. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, and um, so Sonic Youth was a client, and uh, I was excited to get them because they were so uh, uh, well-respected in, in this new kind of alternative rock Genre. thing that was you could just feel was was happening. And... Um, and then they uh, told me about Nirvana. Thurston Moore told me, look, you know, I know you don't like new acts because new acts are usually unappealing to a manager because they don't pay you anything for the first year or two. Right. If you're lucky, if it's only a right. year or two. Uh, and I was always looking for people that already had, had a following. But he says, look, I know you don't like new acts, but this is like we, we've had all these people opening to us and they're, they're great. So I completely trusted him. He was then as now brilliant guy who listened to a lot of music and... Uh, they, they wanted us because Sonic Youth was with us, and I wanted them because Sonic Youth said they were good. So it was one meeting. Uh, in the first meeting, Chris Novoselic did almost all of the talking. Kurt was, I didn't really, and I hadn't done my homework. You know, they had had this album called Bleach that was a big phenomenon in the, uh, in the punk world, and that had done well in fanzines. But I was not into any of that. I was like more hippie generation guy. Um, but then at a certain point, Kurt chimed in with something, and I saw that everyone—he just agreed with him immediately. And I realized that he was—he yeah, was, uh, was, was the center of gravity. He was the center of gravity. But it wasn't until I saw them live that I understood how lucky I was. And that was a few months later. Well, what did they play for you that particularly uh, hit you? Well, they didn't play anything when we met I was supposed well, to the, when you but, saw them but live. when I saw them live they opened to a dinosaur junior at the uh, palace in LA this is when they were recording Nevermind but they hadn't put it out yet and 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 they wanted to play some of the new songs live to just get a feeling you know a lot of artists before they record like to play some of the stuff live to just get some nuances to the arrangements and um, uh, you know I was just uh, flabbergasted by the intimacy that Kurt created with the audience. It wasn't, I mean, one of the songs was in bloom and, you know, they smelled like Teen Spirit. All of it, they played the songs, several of the songs that ended up being on, uh, on the Nevermind album, but it was more, there was something just about his uh, intensity and they were the opening act. This was in LA, not Seattle. They didn't have that many people there that even knew who Nirvana was at that time. And, uh, you know, it was just that cliche where it seemed like he was uh, individually connecting with 
everybody there as if it was uh, an intimate setting like this. So I just, you know, remember driving, uh, driving home afterwards just so high from the experience because I was pretty jaded by then. I'd been in the business since I was 18 and was just trying to pay the bills and I just knew there was something really magical, you know, about him. I had no idea that, that the record was going to explode and be this worldwide phenomenon, but I knew it was more than just a good rock band. I knew that there was something magical about him. He had this intimacy that he created with an audience that uh, is really unusual. When you heard Teen Spirit the first time, did you, like, do you remember where you were when you heard it? Like I can remember where I was. Me too, actually. At certain, yeah. I can remember. Is that where the I, one that goes da da da? No, let you down now. Okay, let's hear, let, let's hear a little more of yours. What's the one that goes? <laughs> That's Tony uh, Bennett. What what's you're the saying? one that goes? <laughs> 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 Which one is that? That's "Come as You Are." I think. I think. Oh, "Come as You Are." Yeah, good. Good. That's fine too. As you. This is a great moment in the in the show. So. Uh, I, I, like, I can remember where I was the first time I heard uh, Sergeant Pepper. Like, I really, first time I heard songs in the key. Like, certain, not that many things that I've heard the first time I can vividly remember yeah. where I can remember. And I was old already by the time Nirvana came out. Like, you know, not in my, like, youthful obsession with music anymore. Yeah. And I was just totally blown away. I had never heard anything like that yeah. before. Yeah. I found it to be <laughs> very melodic, too, which, which, which I think really was his... What well, made him special? His, yeah, he was an incredible songwriter. I mean, he loved punk culture, and the whole uh, you know fierce anger of punk and the rebelliousness of it, and how and all that. But he also was a guy that listened to the Beatles a lot. You know, he 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 just couldn't help but write great melodies and real choruses, even which is not typical of punk genre. But but he had this other God-given talent. But yeah, well, I heard it when they were doing it, so we knew it was a really good song. Uh, never occurred to anybody, either at the label or at the management company or to the band, that it was going to be like a pop song. We thought this was going to be kind of the setup song that would go to like uh, alternative radio. And then we thought that song that you were humming, Come As You Are, was a more um, conventional type of a commercial song. Uh, and this was the moment when the biggest rock band in America was Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And I remember there was an agent that was Sonic Youth's agent, not Nirvana's agent, named Bob Lawton, who called. It had just come out, and he was at a Guns N' Roses show, and they played Smells Like Teen Spirit. You know how they play music sometimes before a concert? And everybody cheered, and he called us, and we, th we realized then, oh, my goodness, if Guns N' Roses fans... Are responding yeah. to this yeah. new song. This is way bigger than we thought it was going to be. It's huge. You got anything, Colin? You, you, Colin's obsessed with this stuff. I'm a, Go ahead. I'm a bit spellbound at the moment, so I, I'll take my time before I jump in. So just what, more what story. Are you, what, what are you spellbound about? Uh, well, well, I don't know. One of the first things that kind of hit me was you described yourself as kind of like hippie-ish with like hippie listening tendencies. Yeah. Um, the sever. I remember the first time I heard it too, and I remember the severity of. I had been into metal and, and like punk a little bit, uh, you know, at that stage I was a teenager. And I just remember the severity of the sound of, of the record coming on at like 8 o'clock in that chart show while I was doing the dishes before I did my this homework. This is in Ireland. In Ireland, yeah. And I'm like going, this is incredible that this is, this is the affirmation of like a, you know, a sea change in, in what's considered commercial music. And so, I guess two things. Yeah, what do you think about that? And A, how was your transition to what was your listening habits to that? Like, Well, 
I got into the music business when I was uh, 18. I dropped out of college and just glommed on to the idea that you could somehow get paid for hanging around rock and roll. In those days, you could. Uh, and originally, I used to write about rock and roll. What a scam. Go for to who? a show and write your opinions. <laughs> well, first for Billboard and Record World, then there were these rock magazines, Circus. Yeah, Circus you know, Cream. A little bit Rolling Stone. Uh, I didn't write much for Cream, but I was editor of Circus for a year when I was 20. And anyway, <laughs> I, by the time I'm 40, I'm just trying to make a living. My daughter's been born, and uh, you know, I just had my first kid, and I'm trying to just make it in the business. And, 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 and I had long made a psychological transition, maybe you're the same way about comedy, where I didn't really hear it the way I did when I was a kid. You know, I was hearing this through more on the business aspect of it. And the surprise was well, that no it also actually, got to oh, me emotionally because there was something about Kurt's voice that just touched me. And then when I got to know him, I just... But, but be, when you're working with an artist, it's completely different from being a fan of an artist. It's just a totally different headspace. So what was, what was he like, personally? Was he, was he obviously a genius? Did he speak in riddles? Did he... He was... was uh, he, down he didn't to speak earth? in riddles. He was obviously a genius. He was somebody that was just creative all the time. Was uh, he punctual? Uh, he was. Um, I don't remember him being late for for meetings with with Who me. Who is this musician? I mean, that I speak of. It's no secret that he developed a bad drug problem, and you know, people that are on heroin are not always that punctual. But he he he. There was no stories of him. Uh, you know, if he was doing a TV show or he was doing a concert. I mean, he. There's no stories of him not showing up. For, for, for a gig or anything like that. Okay, I got a couple more questions. When Nirvana rehearsed, did was he like, I'm in charge? Oh, he was a completely in charge of everything. But he never had to raise his voice. He he was a soft-spoken guy, and he's physically small. He was like 5'2 and skinny. Yeah, yeah. And like he was definitely the, physically the smallest of the three of them. And yeah, he was very short and slight. But he never had to raise his voice. These other guys just knew who he was, and everybody knew who he was. And he uh, he made every single decision. You know, he wrote the lyrics and the music. He wrote, uh, you know, the lyrics. Uh, he played he the lead the guitar. He, he 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 approved of every single decision. He designed the album covers. He wrote the, he the, the video, the famous Smells Like Teen Spirit video. He storyboarded it. You know, he said, "Here, here's the video, and hire somebody to shoot this." You know, right? Uh, it's really, yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, he designed the T-shirts. I remember one of the early meetings. You were sitting there, and he pulls out a napkin. He says, "Oh, here's what I want for the next T-shirt." You know, so he was completely. He had a fully developed vision in his mind of what rock and roll was at that moment, and everybody around him. Whether and when when we go to MTV. Early on, this was the period of time when MTV was the dominant medium for, for music in the country. It was, it was the way you became a famous musician. So after they had the hit, they, they made demands. We, we, we need Nirvana to do some acoustic stuff in the studio and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you, when, when MTV said jump, you jumped, even if you were Kurt Cobain, if you wanted to be successful. And we were there. And by this time, unfortunately, he had developed a drug problem and was kind of nodding out. And... And uh, uh, while they were editing it, you know, because they shot it on a soundstage and then they're editing it in real time and they're going to put it on. And, and he'd be nodding out and then he'd suddenly stick up his head and said, I think two shots before there should be a close up of the drummer. And the MTV goes, OK, Kurt, you know, they just like he just he 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 was a genius about that, about rock and roll. It didn't solve his emotional problems, obviously, but um, he was, uh, he was, for me, uh, the most brilliant artist I ever got to see and work with up close. Did you see the Netflix documentary? 
You know, I don't watch any of the movies about him. It's okay. so painful for me, the uh, the way he died, that I've just sort of made a promise to myself a long time ago. So I didn't see the Gus Van Zandt movie. I didn't see any of these documentaries. So they, did, just, they didn't approach just, you to interview just, for it the just, It gets me too uh, too upset. That, I know it sounds a little precious, no, but that's really no. the way I am I, about it. But So you didn't, you weren't interviewed for any of these documentaries? No, not that I not that I know of. I know there was a close up at one point uh, when Kurt and Courtney did their wills. There was a thing if uh, God, they both died, who would get custody of Francis? And it, they asked me to. Be, so there was a close up of that. So I got a bunch of calls. People, so you know, but no, no. I I I I've been interviewed for books. You know about them. Uh, I wrote in my book. There's a chapter of, of course, about Nirvana. Uh, I don't mind uh, having a conversation like this, of course, about him. I'm so honored that I got to work with him. But but to watch these things, uh, it just it just puts me in a dark place. How old was your daughter when he died? She was three, I oh, think. Oh, she was too young. I was going to say, you must have been the coolest dad ever. We had, <laughs> no, well, she met him many times. He was great with kids. And before he had his own daughter, he would come over and play with my daughter a lot. And I think she has a vague memory of him. Uh, you know, I, we've got a couple of photos of the two of them together from when she was two and three years old, you know. Sorry, I'm just, I'm still listening. I, I'm not probing at the moment. <laughs> well, is, now we, are we going to get get the Wilderness uh, song up yeah. and running? No, we can't get the Wilderness song up and running. Can we play it on the iPhone? No. Okay. I will ask one question because I know that, that, that Dave Grohl now is also considered to be a great musician and a great creative person. Well, he's incredibly successful. You can't. There's no denying that. Uh -oh. he's, uh, the Foo Fighters are one of the most successful yeah. artists around. I don't have an emotional connection to yeah, them. I, was about, I, I heard that in, in in your response. But but what my what I'm wondering is, do you? Think I like that, him personally. I just haven't seen him in a long time. You know, it's not part of my life. No. Do, do you think that he felt that he was being smothered underneath Kurt Cobain at I don't the time? Think he, I've never heard him say that. I think he knew who Kurt was. Kurt knew who he was. He was an incredible drummer. I remember Kurt telling me that he was a really good singer. He says he says you know when Dave sings harmonies, he's a great singer. I I, I don't think Dave. Dave was so nice. I mean, he he never was um, complained, uh, but obviously he had these other talents that were not apparent as the drummer in, in Nirvana, being a lead singer, front man, and a songwriter. He plays guitar, we too, We knew right? he was the best-looking yeah, yeah. guy in, in Nirvana. The girls always gravitated towards Better Dave. Better than looking than Kurt? In a conventional way. Dave Wait, was the more girls conventionally... liked him, even though Kurt was the lead singer and the genius? Certain girls gravitated to Kurt, but Dave was more of a just a, just a classically good-looking rock guy. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, this is disappointing because what, why wouldn't the woman be attracted to the to the to the main dude? Well, I, I, you always I, have, I, I always thought you always they were. Have ones there's different kinds pick. of women and different kinds of dudes. I'm just saying, Dave did quite well. <laughs> well, I remember. There's always like girls when you're growing up, like you always it's pick, like in the you Grateful pick the Dead, person. They always yeah. say. Um, Oh God! Who's the? Uh, is it? Is it uh, was anybody into Ringo? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Ringo got a lot of tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he probably just got leftover tail. No, Nobody no, actually no, went for Ringo no. and no, said, no, "I no, want you're Ringo." Wrong. No, there's yeah. a certain. Uh, I'm old enough to remember this. The girls had different favorites, and there were there a certain kind of girl that loved Ringo because he was like you would protect him. Right, the one you brought home to mom. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and uh, there was a vulnerability about him that uh, yeah he did fine. He was a beetle. There's no, no beetle. I understand There's that, never been but anything if, like if, a beetle. I know that, but I'm just. I the question was: Is did anybody 
favor him o- yeah. over the other ones. I just had always would have always assumed that he got whatever was left over after uh, the other three, but uh, but apparently they were Ringo. Uh, there were Ringo chicks. There were Ringo yeah. chicks. Okay, there. So that's that's interesting. That was the amazing Ringettes. thing about the Beatles is each of the four of them had an identity. That's like really in most groups. There's like you're saying. There's one or two stars, and then there's the backup. I mean, the Stones. It's Mick and Keith. Well, Paul was the cute one. Well, not for nothing. It's one of the only bands that I can think of that you either say the name of their band or you go John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Like yeah, you, there's, there's no, no now, other and band. The sh- and the Shackles. That's uh, <laughs> Gnome's band. Uh, now you you haven't met the third shackle. It's Noam, Colin, Nick. 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 Now Nick uh, is okay, but <laughs> oh my but, god, Nick is amazing. No, he's an amazing <laughs> talent, but Colin is clearly the best looking of the three shackles. Uh, uh. Now uh, you know I would imagine after a show, <laughs> Rose hangs out waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> Noam doesn't get. Rose is our biggest know. fan, but she's eighty three years old. Oh, Ro- Rose. Yeah. Rose. Yeah, she's an eighty three year old that comes here every week. To listen to the, uh, we do music really? here once a week, and the Shackles are are our resident band. Now I, Noam is the owner of the Comedy Cellar, so you know it's, it's a big deal. It's nepotism. It's a very big deal. Home for he, owner. He didn't audition for it, but his band. <laughs> it's my court. I get to play. His band yeah. is the. Um, um, so Noam has more. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't. I, I Colin. You're here because you're you are you. We, we presume that you have a big interest in Nirvana. I, do, I and certainly do. Otherwise, I'm going to move on to the next people on this on this auspicious list here. The next. Oh, on the list. Uh, okay. Let's have any more Nirvana questions. I I, I am always curious about because we're in bands. Like just like like we have a friend. I did have one question. But uh, one, we, yes. we have a friend who is touring with the Stones now. She's the new Gimme Shelter girl in the Stones. Oh, okay, Sasha cool. Allen, and she's being our band, and now she's touring with the Stones. And I asked her like. What is it like with the songs when they rehearse? Like, are they still serious about it? She goes, they rehearse. Keith records the entire rehearsal. He goes home and listens to it. Then he comes back and he gives everybody notes. Like, apparently he, he's still taking these Stones shows as seriously as he did when he was 30, which I thought was just, you know. Maybe more seriously than when he was 30. Was You'd think by this time they'd be like, we've done it a million times. But no, they're, they're deadly serious about it. Well, Keith I is serious, probably. Mick with no, Mick, Mick is too. Mick is very serious. I'm pretty sure. I think you don't have that kind of success without being serious about it. You know, it's it's this. Think of so many artists from the '60s. There's only one Rolling Stones, right? E- even in a genre which, at a at a casual listen, appears to be sloppy in a way, like the Stones or like Nirvana. Right. You know, it's, it's not exactly. Perfectly uh, yeah. lined up classical music, but that's the art form, right? That, that's yes. that, but that's what's interesting. Like you don't. That's why it's yeah. harder to imagine. Like you know, you figure like uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer or something. Like right. obviously they're sweating every detail. Yeah. I want to ask you a question. Different details. Yes. One of my current clients is Steve Earle, who lives okay. just a couple blocks oh my God, away he's from fantastic. here. Mm-hmm. He lives right on uh, Galway Girl, Bleaker Street, and and he has this song Galway Girl, mm-hmm. which is incredibly successful in in in, in, in uh, Ireland. In Ireland, yes. Played at weddings. It's mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's by far the biggest hit he ever had. Mm-hmm. What is it about a guy from Texas with well, those roots that speaks to the Irish public? Well, first of all, that kind of artist and that kind of music has informed a lot of the music that's come out of the homegrown artists. And not for nothing, one of the reasons that that song got very big in Ireland is because of a, an Irish artist called Mundy. Wait, it's Galway, right, right. Gr- Galway girl. girl. But it's about Ireland. 
Uh, well, it's about a girl, from, a, a black, a dark-haired girl from uh, Galway that caught Steve Earle's eye and stole his heart. I well, guess. of course, it's going to speak to the Irish. It's well, about, yeah, he's. It's about a Galway, not of course, but, but that go, but that's a factor. But well, so there was there was there was a live recording that Mundy did that, right, that went had huge hit, right. and with in Sharon with Sharon Shannon, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, and it was just it was like song of the summer stuff in Ireland, yeah. like it was played at every occasion, so it, it got into the cultural zeitgeist right. and like really wove its way into yeah. into our. Well, I, I don't know much about Steve Earle. I do. My friend Brian Steinberg's always he's always going on about Steve Earle. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's great. Is Steve he like a, a John Prine kind of a guy? Uh, is he? Uh, yeah, one of those. Uh, well, he's a singer-songwriter. He's a contemporary and a good friend of John Prine's. You know, it's a little different uh, swagger. Uh, there's a little more of a rock yeah. base to Steve's music. He had this big hit uh, years ago, Copperhead Road, and plays more with the band. So he can play the folky stuff, and he'll play, you know, with clubs, you know, City Winery and other places in the village. But he's um, he's a little more rock. But there's they're both people that were obviously very influenced by Bob Dylan yeah. and bring a poetry into their lyrics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's that's one reason that that stuff like really appeals to to that Irish market, but get, which is get, big. You know? Getting into we were talking about chicks. Um, <laughs> Just a few yeah, minutes sorry, back. Hold that thought, Colin. Sorry. Steve, how, how dare we hire the tone? I, I feel so. I feel so guilty. I'm so sorry. What well, you so Steve Earle is not the kind of, you know, not the kind of artist that the chicks yell and scream about. Uh, you're wrong about that, Dan. I, I, is, is he wrong about that? Any, He's any, absolutely wrong. Yeah, uh, you don't understand any anybody who's musical enough to make to rivet people in an audience. Gets laid a lot. Well, okay, way more than a comedian. But you, you see, it, the is, average, it is music. Uh, well, music connects in a way that nothing I understand else does. This, but but I just Steve Earle. I just when I think of you know chicks, I don't think Steve. Dan, Earle. you don't know chicks. You don't Let's know chicks just at all. I never, this right now. All I'm hearing is that you wouldn't want to fuck Steve Earle. That's all. <laughs> no, it's like uh, you know chicks are into especially now. Whereas I have a shot. <laughs> I've never heard a chick talk about Steve Earle. You know, I. You talk to the wrong chicks. I don't know. What to I say. mean, you know, right? It's more like you know the chicks. They're more into like Katy Perry. Katy you know? Perry. Well, I, you know, there are different ages of I, chicks. I understand no, that. Katy Perry's the, the chicks <laughs> that he hangs out with. Yeah. yeah. No, I understand <laughs> that. I just certain certain artists don't have the same appeal to women that certain other artists do. I think that's fair to say. Fair to say. I think that. May I, I ask my uh, one Nirvana question that I was yeah, curious yeah, about? Yeah, and then we'll move on. Story. Um, so my question is kind of an industry question. It's like you were around one of those rare phenomena that when I hear about them, I just think like it's the man behind the curtain. It's Wizard of Oz stuff. You said that there they were playing their show in L.A. and they were playing a couple of songs that they were recording, which they re recorded, never mind, like in two weeks or something in, in that uh, L.A. studio or something. Maybe that's the lore. Um, in, yeah. Uh, I, I, they, but there's, sorry, it was a little more than two weeks. A little weeks. more than two weeks. I think say. it was about a month. Okay. Yeah. So, but you said that, you know, it just, nobody even expected it to come from Teen Spirit, but when Teen Spirit came out, it was like touch paper that just went global and so quick. Yeah. How does that work and what does it look like? Because to me, that's the stuff, like, we wrote a great song together and, you know, when we wrote it, we were so buzzed, we were like, shit, this could go global, and, you know... Which it, song it is that? Uh, summer is gold, and we thought it was going to be like a, a nice kind of a summer. If we got the connections, there's no reason that this song shouldn't have legs. So, uh, in my mind, I picture you know why not be ambitious, and I picture songs like that that do have that touch piper and just connect industry-wise. That's the part that that gets me. So it didn't take like months of orchestrating a payola campaign and getting this guy in this market. It was literally 
truly organic in, in the rarest of senses in the industry? Well, it was rare. I, w I don't know, you know, uh, pure organic doesn't exist, you know, because uh, still you, you got to somehow get people to listen to something. And, and again, they, this was a moment when it, there was a sense that there was an exhaustion of the previous wave of rock and roll. Yeah. What year is this, by the way? By the end of 91, right? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. 91, end of yeah. 92. So, so there was a sense of, um, of, of that something new was probably going to come. And there was this subculture that had been building up over the previous 10 or 15 years with passionate fans, but it was a cult, a cult audience. So, but Sonic Youth could sell like a thousand tickets. But the Pixies, you know. OEM, all the that Pixies kind of stuff. The Pixies were the yeah. role model. Yeah. Kurt always said in those days, do you think we could ever be as big as the Pixies? And I said, I think so, you know, but, you know, it was, it was an ambitious thing. They sold like 300,000 albums. This was in the days when albums still existed and sold. And, and uh, the biggest artist that had come out of the, this alternative world at that time was Jane's Addiction, okay. mm -hmm. which was about, I think, seven or 800,000. And um, so, so because they had sold 30,000 on an indie label, now pretty well-known label called Sub Pop. At that time, they became well-known because yeah. of Nirvana. Um, that was uh, that got the attention of the organized record business. That was a microcosm of if, if this if this label with no marketing money and that first record, Bleach, that was recorded in in, in a couple of days for under a thousand dollars. So 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 that put them on the radar screen. So when I uh, and my then partner John Silva went out to uh, to try to make a, a, a record deal for Nirvana, uh, um, five or six labels wanted them. It was, it was, it, they were, they were in. They had earned the attention of of the so-called industry by dint of selling uh, thirty thousand on a pure indie uh, uh, label, which was uh, which was a good number at, 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 at the time. But the expectations were. Uh, that they maybe then could sell a hundred or hundred and fifty thousand. That was the range of what Sonic Youth did. The deal was structured in a way that the label would would make a little money on that, and then they'd have this artist that they would build over the course of the future. And and that was the whole marketing mentality was to sell a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand wow. records in terms of the marketing plan, the amount of money that was allocated for advertising, the amount of money that was budgeted for the video. That was not an expensive video. Right. Uh, by by the term by by those terms, so it was a good deal. Geffen was an A label, you know. Yeah. It was it was it was, uh, but it was still a, you know, uh, perceived as a category of sort of a the, the, to try to get the top of a cult genre, which then was this sort of alt alternative rock or modern rock. They eventually called it or grunge or all these words, that, you sure. know, just to make it sound like something different. Um, and then when the record uh, was out, I remember the first week MTV. Uh, added it, and I'm like, oh, I want them to play. There was this category called Buzzbin, which yeah, meant, I remember I remember that. That got played mm -hmm. like six times a day. Yeah. And I want it in Buzzbin. What is this? This is great, you know. And they said, well, well the first week we're going to just add it in Medium, and we were all like stressing, like, how do we get it into Buzzbin? And then the next week they put it in Buzzbin because within that one week, you only the had response, to see it once. The response once. was yeah. so strong. Yeah. Every radio station that played it, that was what was requested. So the answer to your question is there are certain songs, one out of a thousand, one out of a million, that have a magic 
that is completely just attracts people and on mass in a way different from hundreds and hundreds of other songs that sound kind of the same that yeah. may have the that, same that was, instruments. That was a '90s version of "I Want to Hold Your Hand." Yeah, and it, it was, was just, the, that's boom. right. It was There's like nothing like yeah. that, and still is. You yeah. still hear it. It just, it's yeah. just, it's I, just I, and every, by the way, were you married at the time? I was. He, had a, he just had a little girl, right? I, I yes, people have little girls and they're not married. Yes. Sure, yeah, no, because I'm thinking that in addition, not not to the woman that I'm now with. But I'm saying, but, yeah. in addition to being the ugliest guy in a rock band, you get a lot of play. Being the manager of a, of a famous rock band might get you a lot of women, <laughs> too. By the way, I want to uh, uh, back uh, in. Certainly not. Uh, oh, we, got, we got Dan back in the room. That's back, ridiculous. Backing up my previous point, I was just... I only I just, wish. I all know. I just finished... Um, Why you, is, that a, is that a Twitch? I just finished... Um, not just finished, but I finished about a month ago, Bruce Springsteen's autobiography, and he said that there were almost no chicks. That, now, not to say that Bruce wasn't getting laid, he certainly was. But he said there were, there were not a lot of chicks at his concerts until he had a hit with Hungry Heart. Hungry Heart, yeah. yeah then all of a sudden the chicks started coming out. Until Hungry Heart? Until Hungry Heart. Did he have any chicks during Born to Run? Chicks don't that's do poetry. I, I can't think, imagine I think that. That's was what he o- said in audi- his autobiography. I think the audiences, uh, Dor- Born to Run, Darkness, these were very male audiences. And rock and roll is mostly male. Pop is mostly female in terms of audience. Well, that's, that's and and Steve Earle and, and, and like Steve Earle and John Prine and those types of artists are even more male, I would think. It just bugs Dan that Steve Earle is getting a lot of plays. No, it doesn't bug me. <laughs> Why are you just spinning this in ridiculous ways, really? I'm just trying to be That certainly doesn't bug me <laughs> that Steve Earle is getting whatever Steve Earle is There's just so much Steve more Earl interesting parts of this conversation than if the musicians are getting laid or no, not. No, 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 no. I, I think that is interesting, though. <laughs> I, I think that, it is that, interesting. Well, I'm not... That is interesting. And, and they're all getting laid. The question is... is <laughs> Is what what we're talking about? What kind of music attracts which gender? Which is very interesting. Well, in those and, days, and 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 I think uh, in our, our guest hit upon it: pop and rock and roll. The dichotomy, the 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 gender divide between pop and rock and roll is quite. Well, the irony is that I, I've taken road trips with Dan. And all he plays on the iPad is like seventy iPod is seventies light FM. And I make pop. no I make no secret <laughs> like bread of bread and No, uh, not bread. Stop uh, it. Why not Sometimes bread? when we touch <laughs> great the honesty's too much. It's a great it's fucking like song. Time yeah. Life commercial. Don't yeah. you remember you told me? Like Tommy Boy, don't you remember? <laughs> I, well, I've made no secret of my uh, of my love of soft rock. Oh my God. This is not anything that I hide, nor should I. But I'm saying that's part of the reason that you you not you can't manage to sleep. Enjoy those road trips, Don. <laughs> and, but you, but you turn up in ACDC. I'm right there with you, yeah. as well. No. As long as it's, you shook me all night long. Right. Let's let's go through some of the other because I know Colin uh, and Colin, you're going to have to take the lead on this. Okay. Well, because uh, I know that the Beastie Boys listen, are legendary. Let me, let me just interject. Yes. Your colleague, Mr. Calabria, pulled my bio from an old internet bio. I work with the Beastie Boys for about a month. Oh. Okay. You know. I what love the Beastie month? Boys. <laughs> they were fantastic. Is it a good <laughs> fantastic. They are geniuses. Yeah. Well, then you they tell were, us what you're talking about. Let's talk guys. about what he's doing and now. And may Adam rest in peace. But it's really my ex-partner, John, Was it was his idea that we should manage the Beastie Boys. I don't have any good Beastie Boys stories, you except don't. to say that I share your enthusiasm for them. Well, I, want, so, I, wonder, I, wonder, I could talk who, who, about Led Zeppelin. I work with them when you I was... You work with Led Zeppelin. Oh, yes. so I wanted to we ask, love Led Zeppelin. We, we do love Led Zeppelin. I thought that might work in this room. It definitely does. It definitely does. I wonder, so um, when I first came to this country with the band that uh, I came with from... Mr. Ar- North. Ireland, Mr. North, Ireland via Italy, actually. Yeah. Different story. Uh, we got signed to William Morris uh, to Barbara Skydell. Did you ever know Barbara oh, Skydell? Oh, I did know her very well and I, loved Barbara Skydell. I loved her I hope, too. Yeah, she was a, uh, a, a, 
uh, a booking agent. You yeah. know, in these days, premier talent Frank was Barcelona. the dominant. Yeah. Frank Barcelona started it, and she was his number two, was the dominant booking agent uh, for decades. They were Bruce's agent. You uh, too. Tom Petty, uh, you too. It just, you go down the list. And uh, she was uh, very tough, mm -hmm. very effective, and very nice at the same time. A yeah. difficult combination to, to oh, achieve. Like Kristen. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I saw, wait, let's get to Led Zeppelin. We, could, we're, well, the reason, I, the reason I brought Zeppelin it up was, was uh, so her first ever gig in the music industry when she was 18 in 1969 was taking care of, uh, like, in some way, kind of road managing or just project managing a Led Zeppelin gig, which was playing for some rich dentist's 16-year-old yeah. son uh, in, like, California or something. Oh my God. And the surrounding stories, I'm not, I, I don't have permission to tell, but they were interesting, let me tell you. Well, I didn't start, I was, I, I was Zeppelin's publicist in America starting in, in 1973. Wow. Wow. So how that old was, how, I was 22. Uh, and then I became 23 over the course of the year. It's amazing. It's just uh, a different world. So, um, so I I came in. They were already four years into their career. I wasn't around in '69. But yeah, Premier Book Zeppelin when they started, and then the manager, may he rest in peace, Peter Grant, who was my boss, was a very intimidating character. I don't think he's resting in peace. Former former uh, <laughs> former professional wrestler, tough tough guy, Cockney guy, but but good boss to me. Um, he pulled them from Premier because he said, "Why, you know, Zeppelin's the biggest band. Why, why should we pay yeah. them ten percent?" So it was kind of a, a a sore point with 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 Barbara and Frank that that uh, Zeppelin had left Premier. By the time I worked with Zeppelin, they they didn't have an agent. They just went directly to Did the promoters. Did everybody in Zeppelin get women? What do you think? <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> every successful musician is going to get women. I'm just trying to make a point that if, if me as a fan want to get women, take a woman to my house, I don't put Steve Earle on. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You might not want to put Zeppelin on either. Yeah, Zeppelin's exactly. audiences were mostly male. Oh, so, so I've got to ask you. So, so first of all, we, we, we love Zeppelin, and, uh, and I remember one of the worst things that ever happened, my father wouldn't let me go see a Led Zeppelin concert because I got a bad grade in math and it's, it's the only time he ever followed, really followed through with a punishment with me. Oh, and, man. And, uh, and, and, and it was a tour, I think, pretty sure it was a tour where the song remains the same. Anyway. Wow. But, uh, um, well, that was Houses of the Holy that's when was you the were album with, with Song yeah. Remains the Same. Yeah, that's 73 is when that album came out. Wait, Houses of the Holy. That's, that's when they had that famous uh, MSG concert. That's that, that's that tour. How the right. Holy was uh, with Jir Maker, Dire Maker. Correct. That was on as well. Uh, 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 oh. <laughs> come on, come on. Give me more. Give me more. All right. Anyway, uh, no one really knows what Dire Maker means. Well, it's, it's, it's Jamaica. Jamaica. It's because Jamaica. it has a reggae yeah, yeah. feel. Right. Actually, exactly everybody knows. Right. <laughs> Correct. Well, what does Jamaica mean? It's country, it sounds like though. Jamaica because it's a reggae song. Well, no, I didn't make her. She went on her own accord. Oh, God. That's an old bit. You ever hear the, that old bit? That's exactly <laughs> correct. That's yeah. that's why they named it that. Yeah, I read that somewhere. No, you're exactly right. Oh, shit. Everybody, everybody laughs at me. So like, dial, I don't, dial like, back your score, no, everyone. Like I, took, <laughs> I took my wife on a vacation. Which? Jamaica? No. No, well, she yeah. came out on a court. Really? Oh. Yeah, that's exactly right. Everybody that's exactly scorns right. what they don't understand. <laughs> and they mock Jesus also. Oh, Lord. Oh, oh, you're that kind of Jew. Anyway, so but so what 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 do you, what's your takeaway on Led Zeppelin? They stole their whole first album, though, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted to ask about the, the first couple. The, the, have you seen those YouTube videos comparing the Led Zeppelin songs to? Uh, 
I have not. The, the days no, of confusion. Oh my not. God, it's stunning. Uh, I'm yep. just uh, very glad that I got to work with them because the amazing thing about this rock and roll thing, which is passing from the center stage of culture, yeah. but still, uh, you know, 1973, that was a few years ago. It's 40 years ago, right? It's 40 years ago. And, and, and I still and, get and, to talk about it. I mean, it's, unbe it's unbelievable. Right. Yes. You know, uh, that, 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 that it still uh, lasts in the minds of some of the fans enough that it's like a thing to talk about 40, 40 years Well, let's years face later. it, that's all. I mean, who are we going to be talking about? In the, what 2016 artists are we going to be talking about in 40 years? Well, and I, we're, I don't know about you. I probably won't be on the planet in 40 years. But my son is definitely going to be talking about Kanye. Well, well, that I can he, promise here's, you. Here's the thing. Now, you'll I, be 106 in 40 years. And if, we, looking as well still, as you do now, I believe you will be. If I'm still yeah, possibly I might not be. Well, they're working on some interesting things now in terms of, uh, you know, nanotechnology to keep, pe to keep Jews like you and I alive. <laughs> well, I'm more you of know. a meditator, Hindu type. I'm, I think there's some other planet besides this one. And at 106, I'm not sure I'm going to want to... Can as I ask you, General? As I am well, now. You, well, um, you believe that after we die, something happens, that we go into another uh, dimension? I think that's as likely as any other. Uh, I think nobody knows, including atheists. Nobody knows. Mm -hmm. uh, my intuition is yes, but I can't prove it. It's just an opinion. My, I, well, as far as what happens after we die, I think best case scenario, <laughs> we come back, we get reborn in another uh, body. What, forget about dying. What about when we sleep? Like I, 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 in my dreams, I don't even have a name. Uh, like, uh, yeah, you know, good point. it's it's so different, you know, reality. And at the time, it seems like the only reality that exists. So what, obviously, no, no there's a lot like that we don't understand. In my dreams, I'm gay. <laughs> yeah, you have a name. Do you have a name? I, I don't said I'm gay in my dreams. Oh, you're gay. I write. You know, I write songs. But proud, I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gay, I hope I've never anything wrong with it. I've written some melodies in my dreams. They're never good, of course. Oh. But I Paul do. Paul McCartney wrote yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, partner, yeah. Paul McCartney's a musical person. I. Uh, my songs are all terrible. Sing us, sing us one year old. I forget them. I forgot them all. <laughs> like when I wake up, I'm like, hey, that's pretty good, and, but I'm only half awake. Then when I'm fully awake, I'm like, no. Yeah, you're a musical person. I've heard you sing karaoke. Well, I sing I Can Carry It Too, and that's no secret. And of course, I've. Uh, <laughs> of course, um, I've. I've uh, featured, We've heard him on the show. We've heard him on the show. Yeah. Um, and I do have uh, a, a certain innate. Um, oh God! It's you, rhythm that's your problem. You're not very. Your rhythm is. Yeah. is, is well, my, in my head, my rhythm is good. It's just my coordination is bad. Maybe that's it. Um, well, can't you just get a, a, a percussionist? Like a, well, no, no. I'm not looking to get into rock and roll <laughs> or into the music business. I'm just more of a karaoke shower singer. Oh, okay. But, uh, but, but there I aren't do karaoke write, I, drummers. I do write music in my sleep, is what I was just. Saying. Well, I would love to hear one of your songs. Well, then. next time I write one, I'll record it on my iPhone when I wake up. You should. And perhaps the shackles can add some uh, some of their magic. And we'll spruce it up for you. Yeah. Spruce yeah. it up. We'll polish that. Well, we're, we're basically at an hour. Um, uh, I mean, this we, we done? We good? Yeah, we talked to you for, for three hours because, you know, you Can I ask you, a general question? You know how sometimes you make a milkshake and you have a little milkshake left over? Well, sometimes here at the podcast, we have a little, leftover. A little leftover, and we and we and we talk a little bit longer than the hour. No, but we have to cut in the, the songs too. But I just, I just like the fact that you, like you knew Robert, you, you know, you know Robert Plant. I do. You know Jimmy Page. I I do. I know Robert you know a little better, better, but Robert was uh, more uh, outgoing. Uh, but I, I yes, I I, Less I, I know Crowley. both of them. I've seen Robert recently. He just did a show with Steve Earle at Town Hall, right? Emmy Lou Harris and Buddy Miller at Town Hall for uh, for uh, uh, Syrian refugees. 
And, uh, I thought you were going to say for Sirius and, Radio, and, but you went the other way and said Sirius Radio. Uh, Sirius, Sirius was involved too. with the, with the uh, show yeah. somehow. The, uh, what about Sirius refugees, people that can't get on Sirius Radio? <laughs> no, people well, throw, Sirius throw refugees with people that only can get on Sirius right. Radio. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> well, that, that, that would be us, I think. Um, <laughs> Me too. Kristen wanted to ask one serious oh, Kristen, or general it, question. Yeah, well, well, my question is more about the business, and we talk about it with, with comedians as well. Thank you, Colin. No problem. Um, annoyed me. Go ahead. <laughs> just, do you think um, as far as just how the difference between how widely available music is now and all the platforms that are available, do you think that that's something as a from the business perspective helps music or do you think it dilutes kind of, it, it's something that prevents us from having these super powerful artists like Nirvana really break through because there's just so much um, material? Well, I, th- there's sort of different parts of that question. From a, from a financial point of view, overall, there's just no question that the pool is much, much smaller than it was when people were buying compact discs or mm-hmm. cassettes or, mm-hmm. or, or albums. There's just one small fraction of the total amount of money available, and that, that obviously reduces the amount of money that uh, record companies or other people are going to risk in terms of artists or marketing them or those kind of things. That's just seems to be irreversible. It certainly hasn't been reversed yet. It's been a downward spiral financially for the last 15 years. But then there's this other level of human beings, and especially young people, because there's something, I think, about being a teenager where music is particularly important to you. For me, I still go back to, to certain records I heard when I was 16 or 17. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Nothing is ever going to touch me the way, uh, you know, like a Rolling Stone did or something. That, that would be my version of Smells Like Teen Spirit. I so, say the way my father did, but go so, ahead. Go ahead. So, so, um, <laughs> no. so young people are still going to just be galvanized from time to time by certain artists. It creates the sense of community and identity. So to some people, it's Taylor Swift. To some people, it's Kanye. To some people, it's people I'm too much of an old fart to know who they are right now. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, I think the ability of people all over the world to hear music has been multiplied at the same time that the ability for musicians to get paid for that has been reduced, right. you know, so it's a paradox. Uh, one thing, when this was kind of brought up in an earlier conversation, one thing I think about these ages, when you said, you, you remarked how, how extraordinary it was that, you know, 50 years later after certain musical events, we're talking about them yeah. with, with, with a passion, and we wonder, will this generation have similar conversations? You know, I'm positive in, in many, that they will. You are positive. Yeah. I'm, I'm not Because so. having kids, I have a 22 and a 26-year-old, and I just see what music has meant to them and the way, you know, so... Well, I, but in terms of, uh, like, modern artists... Yeah, my son is obsessed with hip-hop, so I don't know the names of a lot of the people that he loves. I'm a rock and roll guy, but his passion about it and the way him and his friends are and what it means to them to see some of these shows and to get some of these mixes and is exactly the same as what it meant to me to hear a new Bob Dylan record. It's just, God doesn't turn off the faucet just because we got older. Sure, sure. Yeah, but I wonder wonder if there's like a poignancy to that was like specific to the kinds of music being created that just, let's say, and I know there's a bias because it was our eras, but like it, it does seem to, as musicians, we can nearly quantitatively compare and say there's more, there was more substance readily at will, even in disposable oh, culture. Oh, listen, man. When I, and during the rock era, 
you were always, when I was in my 20s, you were always meeting these, these guys in their 40s who would say, right, this was okay. terrible music. Yeah, yeah. Jazz was the real sure, music. Sure, sure. These people are playing three chords. How does it compare sure, to what sure, Miles except, Davis did? Or except. Duke Ellington or blah, blah, blah. Except that if you go into like some music store and have the, the magazine rack of like guitar player magazines, it's still fucking Clapton, Jimmy Page, Keith Richards on the cover of yeah. those magazines 40 years later. When I auditioned musicians at when I used to have the Cafe Wall or the Village Underground, 60% of the songs they would audition with would be Stone songs, Beatles songs, e e songs which they had been made 20, 25 years before they were born. So there is something different about that era. Look, there is such a thing as a golden age. Yeah, in certain, it seems to be you know, a golden age. There is, that does exist. Let me just say, because the difference because... Uh, jazz was a different era, a different genre. So, so hip hop is a different genre right. from rock and At, roll, right? So within, hip, I mean, so hip hop is new, and people Nirv will listen, love hip hop. Nirvana, but within rock, rock is now what jazz used to be. People I hate were to into break rock into you guys. Now, I wish it like weren't rock. true. Rock, are you saying rock is dead? No, rock is old. <laughs> difference between being old and being dead. You know, I, I don't think it's dead. It's not the Charles but thing. we're here talking about Nirvana and the moment that Smells Like Teen Spirit transformed people around the world with a rock song. Since then, which is more than 20 years ago, what's the next rock song after that that hasn't, you can, hasn't that you can identify? You can't think of it. Some people would say as a band, Arcade Fire was, it, was yeah, kind or of the innovative killers, rock. Maybe. But that's already 10 years ago. The, the new phenomenons that are reaching 16-year-olds like today Weezer. are not playing the guitar. Really it's just one of those things. They're not playing the guitar. Now, during the jazz era, like trumpet players were a thing. Like right. Louis Armstrong, to me, I happen to love Louis Armstrong, even though I'm too young to have been a fan of his in real time. But, you know, then by the rock era, who's playing the trumpet? Very few people. I, I love the guitar. It's my favorite thing is to listen to a great guitar player. It always will be. I always say I like music with guitars. <laughs> I like music with guitars. That's what I like to listen to. I'm 66. People in their teens and 20s, the guitar is not that big a deal. Yeah. I still like a decent Taylor Swift or a decent Katy Perry song. Of course you do. Well, well her, it, her, her record was great. This last record was fantastic, 1989. Or Adele. I still like a sure. decent Adele. Whereas my parents, they just stopped listening after Frank. <laughs> after Frank. I know. That was it. They just stopped. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, you know. Well, before we finish, you want to just talk about great artists. How about Leonard Cohen? You know, not gonna get it. How about, how about that career? Your, yeah, and, and a man after your heart, like a, a meditating uh, searcher, I guess. Maybe not in other worlds, but like you know, uh, he, he was a. I mean, just to listen to this record that he made when he knew he was dying at the age of eighty-one or eighty-two. This most recent record, I can't believe how great it is. I haven't got to that, but I definitely did feel that way. Sorry if it's taking from it slightly about Black Star with Bowie. Yeah, yeah. I thought that, uh, and that he knew blew he was me dying away. during that too. Yes, right? he absolutely. That's. I mean, that was. It's so scripted. I imagine yeah. that this. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. how you're describing Leonard's record. I, the I, one artist I got to work with in that category was Warren Zevon because I, I released his last three albums on a label I used to have, and I re and being in the studio with him when he knew he was dying yeah. and making that record, it, it's an unbelievable thing. Now, there's it, a guy, very few human beings could could do that. The guy wrote a song, "Excitable Boy," about a a a a, um, a man that raped and killed. Uh, his uh, girlfriend or whatever and built a cage with her bones. Excitable boy, they all said. <laughs> now, that's a, that's gotta, that guy's got to be kind of a mental patient to write a song like that. 
I mean, you knew the man. <laughs> I loved him very much. By the time I, mean, I worked with man. Warren, he was sober. I didn't know him in his drug years. Uh, and Excitable Boy was one of his earlier records. But I don't think it's ever been fair to look at lyrics and act as if it was some essay or some linear thought no, process. No, it's no, a certainly. metaphorical thing, you know. I it's know, like but Johnny who? Cash wrote this song, you know, Folsom Prison. I shot a man in prison just in Reno, in, in Reno just to well, watch him die. Well, he raped her and he killed did, her. Then he, he did not actually shoot anyone anywhere. And no, I understand that. But but one can might be able to might be able to get an insight into somebody's personality. Listen, you want to talk about this, someone who girls loved and who always had Zivon? a lot of girls around them till his dying day, Warren Zevon. Was that his real name, Zevon? Yeah, Zevon, yeah. That's a crazy name. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's you like Zevon could have been... You know, I don't know Randy Newman. I'm a huge fan of his, but I don't know Z- him. If I could just... Uh-huh. With, Z- with regard to the name Zevon, that would have been a perfect name for a disco in the late 70s. Well, Z- <laughs> well, J- Jewish. His father was Jewish. Well, you wouldn't... But he didn't really know his father. But Zevon just seems like a cool name, like Zevon. Yeah, I agree. You know, like Limelight or Studio 54. Or a video, or a video game. Right. Yeah, yeah like Zach, was that there was Zaxxon. Yeah, Zaxxon. There was right. Zaxxon. Yeah. Thank you. That's what I was trying to get at. Uh, we, now, Noam had brought up... Um, we have to go. Go ahead. Uh, uh, Randy Newman. Yeah. Only because I, I I was watching the credits for City Lights, and I think Randy Newman's father was did the orchestration for, oh, for Alfred, Chaplin. Oh, Alfred, yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. Newman family yeah. is unbelievable. No, it's several generations of, uh, of film it's scoring. It's in the yeah. genes, man. It's in the genes, am I right? The, of course, it's in, everything's in the genes. Now that Trump's president, we can say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like Springsteen, I read his autobiography, and I'm like, I'm looking like, well, where's the music coming from? Because his father was like a schiz- like a bipolar, sometime factory worker, and his mother was um, worked uh, at a law firm. And I'm like, but the, all right, but there's some, there's got to be music in there somewhere. You you believe it's in the genes, right? Musical talent. I don't know. Um, there's certainly some families where you can see. That there's a greater likelihood, like Roseanne Cash, or or uh, there's people who come from uh, parents that were musically good, but then a lot of people. Uh, I mean, Kurt Cobain's family, there was nobody musical in his family. Maybe you went back back to the Bob co- Dylan's family, there was no one musical in his family. So well, look uh, at Nora uh, Jones. But I, I bet she, she's Ravi Shankar. She's Ravi Shankar. No, 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 right? Or, 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 sometimes, yeah. sometimes, yes, yeah, sometimes. I no. bet though, if you go back in these families, uh, there was some guy in the old country that used to play. You know, and the whole village would come out, and you, you know, and and he would. Uh, How much tail up. did he get? Well, <laughs> he may or may not have gotten any tail, but I bet you go back in Dylan, back in Russia, there was, some, fid- there was some fiddler. Look, look this is it this playing, is- or or but there were musical people that never exploited their musical talent, but it has to be in there somewhere. I, I, of course I, it is. I prefer the theory of it's a mystery. And we think we could figure this out, and we never will. It's a uh, well, that's one theory. You are you are. You're, it's, I said it's a, I prefer the theory. Musical ability is a neurological ability, like like any kind of thing, and and the the, the blueprint for your neurology is in your genes, and that and that's just the way. Now it is. that that and being there's said, there's some plasticity, but that's the way it is. That being said, yeah. you take a legend like Bob Dylan, and that, their now kids, it, it may their re- kids it, are never anywhere no, near what they it, achieve. It, it may take. The, the the fortuitous coupling of a little bit of this one, a little bit of that one together to get that magic combination of genes that gives you that and musical plus talent. Plus a moment in time that, that, that because like you, you never hear of a huge musician and their kids are equally as big. It's ne- they're never anywhere near. I, mean, I know people who are tone deaf yeah. and they are tone deaf and it's like, it's, 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 Listen, they're born I'm, that way. I'm you know? tone deaf, 
And my really? daughter has perfect pitch. My daughter's in a band called The Pretty It's that's on Rough Trade. And, you're, and, the, you're, and, and your wife? Nice. Up and or your, ba- tone deaf. your daughter? Tone, tone, her mother, tone Two tone-deaf people have a perfect pitch. Two tone-deaf Because if you remember from Ninth Grade Biology, tone-deaf is a recessive gene. Now, of course, this is... Uh, Along with blue eyes and <laughs> you know, uh, and not being it. able to taste. <laughs> so can I go yet? I, no, you can I go. You can go. You got to early morning tomorrow. Okay. No, I'm sorry. Well, thank look, you. Look at that, Dave. That, that's our time. We, do, we keep time. the guest until he asks. Yeah. Until I can't take it anymore. <laughs> well, that's how we do it. We don't use an egg timer. <laughs> thank you so much for including me in your thing here. Thank, thank you, you very you. much. Awesome. Well, you can see every Friday night. You can see Colin and Noam playing, and who knows? You may. Uh, you may decide that. Well, if uh, Steve Earl comes, a lot of girls are going to come. Normally, we have like another comedian on, and we don't, but, but we were so excited to meet you. We actually oh. dedicated the whole thing to. And we to, need, to we need Dan to rate, so to rate this episode. Dan, how do you feel this went? Um, well, I don't do it every time. I don't rate the episode every time. No, Only, but you've been doing it. I have done it on occasion. I thought this was good. Okay, good. Um, I'll take it. You, you know, I'll take it. Um, I function on the, on the, um, in the comedic sphere. He's 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 gonna <laughs> so that everybody left. You know, I thought it was a very interesting discussion. But people that come to hear about comedy, I hope they will also enjoy hearing about mu- the music business. Agreed. And so, but I can't. It's hard for me to gauge that. He, he didn't. He, he he chose not to stay and be insulted, so he decided to leave. That was a bad question. Now, oh I didn't think he was gonna say that. Really, you have learned nothing after all this You're time. Right. It's my fault. You, you trusted it to it's his diplomacy. Fault. It's my fault. See, Thank you very much, everybody. Good night. It was great. Ha, ha, ha.